chapter twenty four of the widow married a sequel to the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty four mr foxcroft reappears and becomes explicit the result arising from this is to be shown hereafter patty gives proof of a finely sympathetic disposition it so happened that the first visitor introduced into mrs o'donagough's new drawing-room by the intervention of the tall footman and the little page was mr foxcroft this gentleman in consequence of having some still unsettled business to transact with mr o'donagough had kept up sufficient correspondence with him to make him acquainted with his address but it had not as it seemed been of so confidential a nature as to include any description of his present abode or manner of living it was therefore with very undisguised astonishment that this brighton friend looked round him upon all the finery and all the grandeur which mrs o'donagough her daughter her servants and her drawing-rooms presented to his view some people might perhaps have thought this exceedingly uncivil but mrs o'donagough was not one of them and the delight with which she witnessed his surprise was as little concealed on her part as the surprise itself was on his how do you do captain foxcroft ha 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 how you do stare about you cried mrs o'donagough very cordially extending her hand why don't you know patty again i declare that's too bad as if you never saw her elegantly dressed at brighton i beg your pardon a thousand times my dear miss patty exclaimed the visitor striding across the floor and shaking and pressing the young lady's hand with very affectionate vehemence for goodness sake do not suppose i did not know you i am sure if i had seen you sitting upon a throne i could never for a moment have mistaken your charming face for any other in the whole world only i had no idea certainly that your london residence was so completely elegant isn't that capital patty said mrs o'donagough with another hearty laugh just look here foxcroft she added majestically leading the way to the second and then to the third drawing-room i think on the whole this room is quite perfect because of the recess you see and the elegant drapery about it isn't that a beautiful looking-glass of course you observe that all the chimneys have looking-glasses that's a great advantage there are a monstrous number of houses and very elegant ones too where there is but one but nobody can tell that hasn't observed it what an extraordinary difference it makes to be sure mr o'donagough is a man of the very best of tastes and i must say as liberal as he is elegant sit down captain foxcroft sit down upon the sofa we don't at all mind using the sofas though they are certainly excessively beautiful but what good is there in having beautiful things if one's afraid to use them nothing i think shows a greater vulgarity than that sort of carefulness particularly in a house that one hires furnished heaven knows we pay enough for it of course ma'am replied the gentleman nobody can doubt that and a delightful thing it is to be able to do things in such a style i hope mr o'donagough is well i took the liberty of asking for him and the servant said he was at home there is a little business that i want to speak to him about if he is quite at leisure i believe he is in the library captain foxcroft replied mrs o'donagough with much dignity ring the bell patty i will send the page to inform him that you are here when mrs o'donagough from any accidental circumstance or for any particular reason of her own felt herself exalted higher in the scale of created beings than ordinary her voice underwent a singular change not easy to be described 
it was as if some unusual fulness had arisen in her throat which while it obliged her to place her head in a particular position and to add a third tier to the redundancy of her exuberant chin appeared to elongate every word she uttered and to give sort of a swelled and preternatural roundness to every syllable i can venture to assure you copton foxcroft she said as soon as she had given the message to the little priggish button-bedecked boy who answered the bell i can venture i am certain to assure you that if mr o'donagough is not very particularly engaged he will not refuse to receive you poor mr foxcroft who was come upon some rather awkward business felt this sublimity to his fingers ends and rather to escape from the danger of being overwhelmed by any more of it than from any wish at that moment of enjoying the playful vivacity of miss patty he suddenly rose and crossed the room to where as usual she was lounging upon a couch placed close against the window and looking into the street i hope you have not forgotten an old friend miss patty because you have got into a new house said he no that i haven't captain foxcroft replied miss patty well pleased as it seemed by this address i was only waiting to see how long it would be before you would have done palavering with mamma none of your old friends forget you i can tell you that delighted at finding that one at least of the family remained much in the same state of refinement as heretofore mr foxcroft expressed very warmly his gratitude for the consolatory assurance adding i need hardly tell you my dear miss patty that there is no change on my part so far so good replied patty with very friendly exultation and i suppose i may repeat that mayn't i wherever i like to be sure you may my dear miss patty he rejoined with an air of sudden intelligence for in fact he at that moment recollected for the first time since he entered the fine drawing-room that one of his lady-loves was or had been the elected ami de la maison to say the truth mr foxcroft's personal concerns had occupied him of late so exclusively that the remembrance of the fair matilda had melted from his recollection altogether and not till the marked emphasis which patty placed on the word wherever set him to meditate on her meaning did her idea recur to him then however a sudden thought struck him that it might be worth while under existing circumstances to renew the acquaintance a good footing at the house of mr o'donagough was essential to him and it mattered little how it was obtained female influence was always powerful and moreover it was not quite impossible that he might find upon inquiry even stronger reasons still for renewing his tender intercourse with the susceptible matilda as these thoughts passed rapidly through his head his eyes became animated and expressed that sort of second-hand tenderness with which gentlemen of his tone and manner are apt to address the young lady confidants of their beloveds how excessively kind it is of you to take so much interest in me miss patty he said hanging his head a little on one side and pressing his hands fervently together i am quite sure your eyes can read my heart and you are quite at liberty to repeat what you find there to to those you know who are in your confidence well that's fair and open anyway replied patty she shall know what you say trust me for that at this moment the page returned with his master's compliments and he would be happy to see the gentleman in the library giving a look of confidential intelligence to patty and a bow of prodigious respect to mrs o'donagough mr foxcroft followed the page who ushered him into a back parlour large enough to have been called a library had there been books in it but of these the show was so scanty as almost to escape a cursory observation 
however there were not wanting any of the various other articles which in the minds of many as essentially constitute a gentleman's library as the books themselves thus there was an oblong table with drawers at its sides and covered with leather on which was spread abundance of manly litter among which might be found pen ink and paper on another table were several newspapers together with a boot-hook and a shoeing-horn there were moreover among the fixtures two large cases probably designed to accommodate such silent friends as the owner might choose to invite but as yet none such had arrived at mr o'donagough's bidding and the glass doors sheltered nothing more erudite than mr o'donagough's wardrobe he having happily agreed in opinion with his lady that he would find it very comfortable and convenient to make the library his dressing-room notwithstanding the want of books however mr o'donagough was reading and this together with the literary leisure air communicated by a printed calico dressing-gown made him feel that to all intents and purposes he was receiving his friend in his library but though surrounded thus by dignity and ease he condescended to rise throw away the sporting magazine with which he was engaged and hold out a hand to his friend oh foxcroft i'm glad to see you my good fellow how did you manage to get leave but you are too soon now by a month or two there's no great business doing yet said mr o'donagough mr foxcroft shook his head and his face naturally of rather lengthy proportions grew longer still why what the devil's the matter resumed the master of the library you look as doleful as if you had been in the pillory it's all up with me o'donagough replied the guest i have been sent to the right about but privately observe i was told that i had better sell out so there are but two men in the regiment dashmore and willis of course that know anything about it this is better than if it was blown but yet it is a cursed business and i want you to give me your advice as to what i had best do to help myself upon my word mr foxcroft replied the prosperous mr o'donagough very gravely it is by no means in my power to say i was in hopes you were come to settle your little account with me which certainly would be convenient at this moment from the immense sums i have had to pay for getting into this house furnished as it is you have been in the drawing-room i believe i need hardly tell you that it has sucked up a tolerable lot of ready money of course it has replied the melancholy-looking ex-lieutenant and one great reason for my coming to you was to consult what i could do in order to get the means of paying you as a man of honour o'donagough you must be aware that my debt to you is what lies heaviest upon my mind and that if you will give me a helping hand the paying you will be my first object no doubt of it no doubt of it replied mr o'donagough because of course i need not tell you that if that is not attended to all's up you and i have lived long enough to understand that you know but as to coming to me and asking me in this way what you are to do i must say it looks rather wild and scrambling mr foxcroft and not very promising for your debts of honour certainly i am ready to do anything o'donagough but heaven knows at this moment i know not where to turn for a pound and upon my soul sir i don't know where to send you for one there must have been some great imprudence mr foxcroft some extremely awkward management i am afraid to have produced so very sudden a catastrophe not but what i always thought it would be better for you to leave the regiment excepting just your own set the men about you were the last in the world for you to get amongst the fact is that generally speaking the english army is not a profession to be carried on with with any other but then i always reckoned upon your selling out sir in a way which would have put you in funds to settle with your friends 
i can't say that i had any idea you would manage matters so clumsily as you have done for pity's sake don't reproach me o'donagough and upon my honour i don't deserve it either for it was a mere accident and no blunder of mine whatever it was a note that i sent by an orderly and the rascal took it wrong a note why you are not such a fool as to write down at full length in the morning what you have been doing overnight i suppose not exactly but the note was to dashmore and the fool took it to groves who opened it as he says without looking at the direction and as it was only signed with a flourish in the shape of the ace of clubs and contained a few sporting allusions the busybody took it to the colonel pretending that he thought it was some joke offensive to the honour of the regiment then of course dashmore was dragged over the coals and after shuffling a little which made matters a thousand times worse he confessed that he rather thought it was lieutenant foxcroft's handwriting so then i was closeted and very politely advised to sell out a parcel of precious idiots you seem to have been as i ever happened to hear of observed mr o'donagough coolly and with such sort of management i cannot say that i think it very likely you would profit by any advice of mine not to mention that there would be a pretty strong probability of my being mixed up in the scrape if i were to present myself to the public eye as your particular friend mr foxcroft the public can't possibly get hold of it o'donagough replied the ex-lieutenant eagerly for before i left brighton the regiment received orders to prepare for the west indies a lucky dog you are then replied mr o'donagough with somewhat more of condescension in his manner in that case you have only to keep quiet till they are off and then say you were obliged to sell out on account of your health that is exactly what i meant to say replied his comforted friend only i could not hide anything from you o'donagough after your kindness in waiting about that piquet money i promise you i shall never know a happy moment till i have paid it and anything you may happen to think of that may help me to start again will be just that sum in your own pocket you know that's all very well foxcroft but it's a devilish deal easier to say what you'll do with money when you get it than to find out where it is to be had i give you my honour and word that just at this moment i no more know what to set you at than if i had been born last week when the season advances perhaps it is possible that i might find out some way or other in which you could be useful to me and make a little money into the bargain and upon my honour o'donagough that is just what i should best like you are a man of genius first-rate genius i have seen enough already to know that and i am one that would not stop at anything for a friend whom i admire and look up to as i do you i won't play piquet with you again because you are a devilish deal too good a player for me but i'll be ready to do anything else that you may ask and i'd be as true to you as your own shadow but there's nothing to be done for the next two months at the very least replied mr o'donagough the christmas holidays must be well over before there is a chance of getting a common whist party together without dreaming of doing anything at the clubs into the very best of which i expect to get by and by and what are you to do in the meantime foxcroft bath or cheltenham would serve your turn better than london i should think i wish you could tell me my dear friend said mr foxcroft abruptly and with some little embarrassment whether since you have been in town you have found out anything at all certain and to be depended on respecting that miss perkins you know that used to be so much at your house at brighton should you judge from what you have seen that she had anything independent worth thinking about upon my word foxcroft i won't stand godfather to her ways and means they seem to be living very decently in a drawing-room apartment at brompton and i should suppose that whatever they have must be their own and independent 
but that is a question which must as i conceive be asked officially before any positive information can be obtained the only objection to this sort of plain sailing is the awkwardness of getting off if the thing is not likely to answer but in this case i should not suppose there would be much difficulty about that either i am pretty sure there is no brother in the case and leaving town suddenly for a week or two would be all that was necessary well then my dear fellow returned mr foxcroft while waiting for more important business i see no objection whatever to my bestowing as much time upon this as may suffice to ascertain whether there is anything to be got worth having and i do assure you that one of my chief motives for the speculation will be the hope of speedily discharging my debt to you but i most look to the ladies of your family for the means of setting about it do you think that mrs o'donagough would object to taking me with her to call upon the miss perkinses upon my word i don't know mr foxcroft mrs o'donagough has no carriage at present nor will the equipage i intend for her be ready till after christmas but i suppose the business may be set going as well by your meeting here as by paying the lady a visit at her home if you see your way clearly enough to go on there will be no need of having mrs o'donagough to escort you on your expeditions to brompton there was something of dignity and hauteur in this speech which convinced the aspirant lover that it would be necessary for him to be rather more cautious in tone and demeanour than formerly but he was far from being discouraged by this on the contrary it only served to convince him that if there should prove some little difficulty in reaching again the rank of familiar household friend which he had held at brighton it would be more worth having when he did attain it a mode of reasoning often acted upon by persons of the ci-devant lieutenant's class with very excellent and satisfactory results as soon as mr o'donagough had ceased speaking mr foxcroft rose from his chair and drawing a card from his waistcoat pocket laid it upon the table before his illustrious friend saying very respectfully for the present my dear sir i will detain you no more either with my hopes or my misadventures that is my address and i feel confident that now i have put you in possession of my views your kindness will induce you to give me the advantage of meeting the lady in question at your house as soon as you can make it convenient to do so these words were accompanied by a very grave look and a bow of much ceremony which seemed to announce the speaker's intention of immediately withdrawing producing altogether on the mind of mr o'donagough the comfortable conviction that he should always be able to keep his inferiors at a distance when he chose it an idea which so greatly pleased him that his manner instantly became as frank and familiar as in the days of brighton humility no no foxcroft you must not go yet he said sit down again i have fifty questions to ask about the set we used to meet at the billiard-room and besides you must not go till i have settled with mrs o'donagough for what day we shall ask the perkinses i don't think they are much engaged so there will be no great difficulty about that and i say foxcroft a small quantity of love-making at a time will do won't it you must not wear out all your pretty speeches at once you know so i suppose you will have no objection to a rubber if i can happen to get two good hands to help us smiling inwardly to think how well he was able to take the measure of his superb friend's greatness and outwardly to show how grateful he felt for all the kindness bestowed upon him mr foxcroft declared himself delighted at the idea of once more battling for the odd trick with so skilful an adversary and reseating himself in the excellent armchair he had before occupied near the fire determined to be as gossiping and agreeable as possible in order to plant himself as firmly as heretofore in the good graces of the man whom he felt that fate had destined to be his patron 
having indulged himself in the flight which has been recounted above mr o'donagough relaxed for the next hour into as familiar a strain of discourse as mr foxcroft himself could have desired and at length brought it to a conclusion by saying come along my fine fellow let us mount to the drawing-room and consult with mrs o'donagough on this perkins party mr foxcroft nothing loath prepared to follow him and as they mounted the stairs together his loud bold laugh preceded them which caused mrs o'donagough to observe that it was plain enough he had been well received or he would not laugh in that free and easy style well received repeated miss patty sharply and why not i should like to know there are some people who admire him i can tell you whatever you may do and though he has got grey hair and a big nose that is no reason for you to be uncivil to him hoity-toity miss patty who is going to be uncivil i wonder you have no more idea of dignity and the sort of consequence attached to a certain style of living than a baby i wouldn't for the world be uncivil either to foxcroft or dashmore or willis or any old acquaintance whatever and i am sure if the poor dear sheepshanks were to come over one and all they would find me perfectly kind and condescending but that need not prevent one showing now and then that one knows what's what and if you don't take my word for it you'll i have brought foxcroft back to you my dear said mr o'donagough entering unceremoniously before his friend to fix a day for our asking him to dinner you must come and dine with us foxcroft if it is but once and away for old acquaintance sake for you must know i don't mean to give regular dinners till the season begins mrs o'donagough will soon begin to receive company in an evening once or twice a week perhaps these are very good rooms for it and i rather like a rubber you know but i'm not fond of dinner company except just in the season it fatigues me and in short i think it is a confounded bore but we shall be often glad to see you of an evening foxcroft however this first time as i said you must come to dinner what day shall it be mrs o d we'll have the perkinses the same day i think mrs o'donagough was preparing her three chins and her thick articulation of dignified words in reply to this proposal when she was abruptly checked by patty's favourite hand-clapping and the joyous exclamation which accompanied it that's right papa that will be capital fun won't it oh my how pleased they will be that is i mean about coming to dine here the first time and all of course i don't mean anything else i'll go myself mamma see if i don't to carry the invitation do you and papa fix the day and not take care you shall have the company there was something so paralyzing to hauteur and elegance in this jolly outbreak that mrs o'donagough quote, changed her hand and checked her pride end quote, as she answered very well dearest you shall go yourself if you wish it and the page shall attend you it is the same affectionate warm heart as ever you see captain foxcroft i do not believe that either the court or the city will ever change this dear child's generous unassuming character whatever day will best suit you captain foxcroft i shall be excessively happy to receive you well then let's say monday next at half-past five perhaps that means six you know but it's as well to say half-past five to make you punctual said mr o'donagough the day and the hour were each welcomed by a bow of grateful acquiescence from the invited guest who after receiving one finger from mr o'donagough two from his lady and a whole hand accompanied by a broad grin from patty departed to meditate on the unexpected and rather puzzling grandeur of his friend and creditor and to make up his mind as to the smallest sum for which he should agree to bind himself to miss matilda perkins for life 
hardly had the house door closed upon him than patty who according to custom had flown to the window that she might watch his progress down the street turned sharply round and setting her arms akimbo said resolutely now then i shall set off for brompton mr o'donagough laughed and drawing her upon his knee as he sat loungingly in an armchair near her said well done patty i like you for that girl i have a notion that you will not be carrying coals to newcastle you are a good-hearted girl that i will say and ready to do as you would be done by and talking of that patty i want you to tell me just exactly everything that sir henry seymour did and said the day he came after you to brompton they tell me at his club that he has gone out of town and that's all very well as far as it goes for of course he may have his engagements like any other man particularly as nobody of his sort of style and fashion ever does show themselves in town till after christmas yet still i can't help wondering a little that we don't hear from him patty grew exceedingly red during this speech and having effectually struggled herself off her father's knee bounced to the end of the room and seizing the handle of the lock that she might open the door and escape turned about and said you ought to be ashamed of yourself you ought to ask a girl such questions it will be pretty times for the young ones if they are to repeat to the old ones all that they say to one another fair and softly my beauty if you please said her father walk back again miss patty or you may chance to be sorry you didn't the look and tone were of the kind that ensured obedience and the pouting patty returned three steps into the room nearer miss if you please nearer said the angry parent patty made three more steps towards him and then apparently to save trouble he rolled himself forward by the aid of the excellent casters of his armchair till he was pretty nearly face to face with her now then miss patty o'donagough let us understand each other when i see fit like a kind and affectionate father as i am to ask you a question of importance about a gentleman that you assure me is in love with you i don't choose to be told that i ought to be ashamed of myself i believe your mamma will inform you if you will ask her that i am not much given to trouble myself about women's gossipings and that few ladies have been less troubled by the curiosity of a husband than herself but in this business of sir henry seymour there is a good deal more to be considered i promise you than merely your fancy in the choice of a sweetheart he is as i have ascertained a man of immense fortune and great consequence i made his acquaintance on board ship as well as you miss patty and i have renewed it too under circumstances which render it extremely likely that he may be useful to me in one way or another if he is really and truly your lover and means to marry you i am too good a father notwithstanding all your impertinence to think of anything whatever but your advantage and all other use that i might make of him should be put aside and forgotten but i want to know a little how the affair really stands between you i certainly think that there was something very particular in his running after you to brompton in that eager style when as i know well enough he would have been exceedingly glad to have kept away from us altogether this as well as the manner in which i found you together does make it really seem likely that those saucy eyes of yours have turned his head and left him no choice but to make you my lady seymour now then i have explained myself and without being at all ashamed about the matter as it seems to me i may just take the liberty of asking the long and the short of what passed between you speak up patty don't be afraid there's nobody going to scold you for having a sweetheart what was it the young man said to you did he out and out ask you to be his wife well then you may kill me if you will replied patty blubbering but i won't be bullied that's what i won't into telling tales of my own true love 
the deuce take the girl replied the angry father she is a fool after all i'll be hanged if she isn't though i fancied her so monstrously clever i shall go out mrs o d and leave her to you only remember that i expect to be told whether the young fellow has really promised to marry her or not i know that he thinks her a good piece older than she really is but i saw no harm in that and didn't contradict him and in short if he has a fancy for having such a silly girl as you for a wife i don't mean to balk him that's all so now fall to and have a good talk together and let me know what comes of it when i come home as a matter of course the first part of the tete-a-tete between the mother and daughter was occupied by abusing their mankind both ladies were equally ready to declare that he was a brute and a tyrant and there never was such a plague but this portion of the conference having at length been brought to a satisfactory close mrs o'donagough coaxingly led the discourse to the subject which she had been commanded to discuss with her daughter and certainly managed it with some skill inasmuch as it ended without a quarrel for which it must be confessed the young lady held herself prepared it is quite nonsense patty she said to attempt talking with men about these sort of things but to a mother you know it is different a woman never forgets her youth whatever a man does and you need not be afraid to tell me any of the little things that have happened between you and jack sir henry seymour i mean of course you are almost too young as yet for anything very serious to have passed but i don't doubt that you know pretty well what he is about don't you my dear i am sure i don't know what you are about nor what you mean either of you tormenting me so i dare say the real reason jack does not come to see me is that he saw that morning when papa walked with him what a horrid sort of plague he was replied patty likely enough my dear but don't fret your dear heart about that patty he'll come again never fear when a man is really in love he is not so easily cured i can tell you i could give you proof of that if i chose it but i'd rather talk of your own beautiful self dearest how did he look when he gave you that lock of his hair darling lor mamma as if i should be likely to stare him in the face all the time i have got the lock of hair and that's enough for you to know of all conscience replied patty again growing very red i wonder how it happened that he left your beautiful ringlet behind him resumed mrs o'donagough lord what wonderments you do make about nothing mamma i should like to know how any one broken in upon and tormented as he was could know or remember anything he did or said that's very true patty and when he took that lock of hair at first i suppose he gave you to understand that he loved you dearly and that it was for that reason he asked for it didn't he well i never did hear the like of you and papa exclaimed patty indignantly i should like to know what it is you do expect me to tell you if you will promise not to plague me any more i will tell you one thing and if that won't satisfy you i am sure i don't know what will jack kissed me then downright kissed me what do you say to that i'm sure i don't know what you would have very well patty don't agitate yourself my dear to talk any more about it i do think his kissing you does say a great deal such a very well-behaved young man as he always seemed to be would never have thought of such a thing i am quite sure if it had not been by way of a declaration said mrs o'donagough very gravely and with every appearance of being extremely well satisfied now go my dear girl she added go and get ready for your walk to brompton 
it will be a pleasure won't it patty to tell dear good matilda that she is to meet her old favourite foxcroft but poor thing i doubt very much patty if he will ever think of her seriously she is so very thin matilda won't die an old maid she's too good for that i'm sure returned patty with all the ardour of friendship well my dear we shall see said mrs o'donagough looking very intelligent but go now and get ready the page shall walk after you and that will be very nice won't it i am sure i wish you were to happen to meet sir henry he has never seen you in proper style yet End of chapter twenty four